Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in uh, to this episode of Bitcoin Breadcrumbs. Uh, this is the weekly recap show where Luke and I sit down and talk about what's going on in the Bitcoin world. Uh, and this week, uh, the main topic, really the only topic to talk about was uh, hyperinflation um, brought to the forefront by Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter's tweet saying that hyperinflation will change everything. Um, so that's really what we get into in this episode. And I hope you guys enjoy it. The sponsor for the show is Coinbeast. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbeast Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. All right, now let's get into it. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that looks all normal to me. Um, like it looks okay. as if it's recording on your end. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, oh, so you're tired already. Uh, dude, it's funny because like I literally have, I feel like it, we're just on so such different time schedules. And I, I can't believe that you wake up like it's like six o'clock in the morning, your time. And you just actually get up then like without kids like you're just like you just wake up <laughs> like how does that happen i go to bed too early i'm an old man everybody makes fun of me on um spaces because i'm getting i'm going to bed at like seven or eight or eight thirty <laughs> at night and <laughs> they, yeah I'm, I'm a little bit of an old man in a boy's body so that's probably why i wake up so early do you get up and like put your slippers on and like go over and get oatmeal and like put a robe on like exactly <laughs> exactly um, yeah that's uh i be like this morning i woke up um and i was like i might die like i'm just from how exhausting children can be i love them to death but like there were some times whenever the youngest was going was teething recently I mean, it lasted for like almost a year. It was terrible. And he just wouldn't sleep at night. And I said to my wife, I said, if I didn't know any better, I would think they're trying to kill us. Like, (laughs) because like the one that was teething would wake up the other one in like, you know, in his room. And so then he'd come down and be like, I can't sleep. Somebody come to my, so like me and my wife were just like, boom, boom, back and forth between every bedroom in our house. And and it, we never basically got more than like two and a half hours of sleep at a time. See, I couldn't deal with that. I'm too much of a bitch. If I get less than like eight hours sleep, I'm grumpy old man. I'm snapping at people. I think we've been <laughs> recording a few times and what, it's been like one or two or three in the morning, your time. And yeah. I, I sometimes ask you, oh, when are the kids up? Oh yeah, three, four hours time. I just, <laughs> no, nah, I couldn't, couldn't function off three hours sleep. Oh, you'll figure it out. Neither could I at your age, but now somehow in my thirties, apparently it's okay. Um, so anyways, um, yeah. So Jack put out a nice little tweet, uh, and was talking about hyperinflation. So, um, I don't know. You want to get into that a little bit? Oh, mate, I, I thought it was um, I thought it was massive news, absolutely massive news that you've got the CEO of what one of the largest social media companies around the world talking about hyperinflation in the US, not just these kind of foreign domestic countries like Turkey or Lebanon or uh, Venezuela, Iran. He's actually talking about the United States, which implies that the entire world's going to go through hyperinflation. Um, I think that's wild. Um, yeah, because hyperinflation is a psychological, uh, it's a psychological phenomena. So it's actually, see, they can have inflation of five or ten percent and kind of slowly devalue um, the debt that all the governments and sovereign nations have around the world for a good decade long. If they can kind of keep inflation and walk the tightrope, if they can keep inflation around ten percent without confidence being lost in the dollar, that's their aim. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to devalue the debt in nominal terms um, and pay off the debt with hyper, well, not even hyperinflated, with devalued dollars. But as soon as basically how China owned, how China owned so much of the U.S.'s debt, and they were like, well, let's just devalue the dollar so that it's not that hard to pay back. Exactly. So yeah, that's what every single nation around the world is doing in lockstep. 
that's part of the really unique, strange point in history we are in at the moment. Like all of these other fiat currencies that have collapsed in history, normally they've been isolated events, like the German hyperinflation in 1923. It was kind of isolated in Germany or Venezuela or the, the previous three times that Argentina's um, had to revalue their currency over the past 20 years. They've kind of been isolated events. But when you've got the largest, like the global reserve currency in the world, the US, um, when you've got them printing and you also see Canada printing, the, Euro, uh, the European Union, they're printing, uh, the Chinese Yuan, they're kind of printing, but not at the rate everyone else is. They're a bit of an uh, interesting case study. But this is a global debt issue. So that means globally, every single central bank is printing money. Um, and we've never seen... Almost in unison. Yeah. That's because they have to, because if one of the large G7 or G20 nations collapse, it's kind of a dominoes effect because our global financial system's never been as interconnected as it is today. Um, and that's why they're all printing. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's wild to see. I think now that you think about it, I mean, because Jack was talking about hyperinflation will change everything, you know, and people were talking the response from a lot of people is like, that's not going to happen in the United States, which we know is bullshit. But like, you know, I, I think he didn't specify the United States. So like, are we going to experience a hyperinflation across the world at the same time? Like something where just every currency just explodes, you know, maybe not on the same day, you know, but like, but relatively in unison, like you said, where it's not a, it's not a isolated event anymore because um, even in my dumb economic brain, I'd been sitting there like seeing how the whole world was becoming globalized. And I was like, well, that's, that might be a problem if there's something wrong with the money, <laughs> you know, like if something goes bad with the money, it's not just Germany that has a problem. It's the whole world. Um, so, I mean, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think we're going to see that, not just in the US, but like kind of when it happens, it's just going to be everywhere. It's going to rip through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. It's a global debt issue. Uh, global debt levels have never been this high. I think they're at like 350% um, of GDP, debt to GDP ratio. And that's never been higher before in human history. Um, for anyone listening on Apple Podcasts, we might actually bring up some charts about just how dire the situation is. Um, the reason debt is so large at the moment um, and interest rates are so low is because of that kind of interconnected issue, okay? Interest rates are at, what, 5,000-year lows, and that's because debt is at the highest levels it's ever been. So we've got a chart looking at the debt-to-GDP ratio, and it's something like, what, 360% of global GDP? That, that has never been higher, absolutely never been higher. Um, and that's why you've got interest rates at 5,000-year lows, so this is a chart of interest rates going all the 5, way back to... 5,000 years? Yeah. I don't know how. I, I don't know the validity of this chart. So Bitcoiners, go out there and verify this yourself. Don't trust. Um, but on the scale there, it's got 3,000 BC. So I don't know how they were tracking interest rates back in 3,000 BC, but uh, I like it for the hyperbole. Like, 5,000 5, <laughs> year lows. They were charged. They were able to scale it and be like, "You borrowed my horse for three weeks, and <laughs> now you owe me four potatoes." Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. Probably, probably. <laughs> but oh, that's, Tasmanian um, devils, mate! You have to. <laughs> you owe me a um, couple pieces of uh, bread with Vegemite on it, <laughs> mate. I'm going to get you a Vegemite. You're going to like it one day. I'm oh. going to turn you into Australian bogan. <laughs> Through yeah, osmosis, I, the more I, you I, chat to me on Zoom. And it's funny, it will happen because um, this would come off as like really insensitive. But I, um, when I'm in a certain location for an extended period of time, I start talking like the people around me. Um, <laughs> so that, hap that would happen to me playing hockey in Canada. Where like if I was in Canada for a little bit and then like all of a sudden I'm like saying like A and like you know, don't you know? And like stuff. I mean, it's just, it's weird. I adapt. I pull in. So like, I'm like, I'd be afraid of like being in Australia because I think it, it would sound insulting. Like I was trying to make fun of you, but I'm not. It's just, 
it's just the way my my brain just adapts and i start I, I did the same thing we were in england for like 10 days and and i started like she started like busting my balls about it she's like what do you like what's what was that like you just sounded tried to like have an english accent and i wasn't trying it just just naturally happened it sounded terrible but yeah anyways so I, I think that's natural. I think that's natural. The more you surround yourself with other people and other people's accents, the more it kind of ingrains itself in you. That's where I struggle. Um, and that's where the, that's where I am a bogan. Like I grew up in probably one of the most bogan, rural, laid back kind of hillbilly towns in Tasmania um, for what, 19 years of my life. So uh, the, the bogan vernacular has really been ingrained into me. So um, well, we'll turn you into a yinzer. And we'll get you out to Pittsburgh and you'll be a yin. And then you can, uh, with me and Preston, be able to talk yins with us. I'd love it. No, but no. Good luck. Good luck, mate. Good luck getting the Australian accent out of me. Many have tried. <laughs> um, but yeah, so interest rates are at 5,000 year lows. And that's because debt's never been higher. And that's why governments have to continue to print. A lot of people say, oh, why don't governments just stop printing money? Inflation levels are rising. Why don't they just stop printing? As soon as they stop printing, the debt absolutely collapses and we're going to have an economic depression uh, like we saw in the 1930s, a 10-year economic depression. Now, why is that? Because, I mean, so the debt, let's just say the US has however, whatever their debt is. Um, if you stop printing money, then they have to start paying back well, I guess if they don't have, if they're not printing new money, then they don't have money to pay back their debt. Is that what it is? It's a little, it's a little bit of that. Uh, central banks are monetizing their debt. So it's a little bit of that. And then it's also gets a little bit more nuanced. If the government stops printing money and stops doing QE as well um, and stops buying bonds um, like US treasury bonds and 30 year bonds, that means interest rates would actually rise. Uh, so I think every month the Fed is buying uh, $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities and $80 billion of treasury bills, I think. Um, that's off the top of my head, so I'm sorry if those figures are slightly off. But they're buying $80 billion of treasury bills. So how bonds work is if there's nobody buying that $80 billion worth of treasury bills, that means the interest rates on the bills would rise. So that means instead of the US Treasury bills being uh, 1.6%, the, the interest rates would start to rise and rise and rise. And the US 10-year bill is kind of like a, not a landmark, but kind of like something everyone around the world looks, looks to and, and everyone's not pegged to, but kind of looks to. So if the US Treasury bills start to rise, indicating there's a loss in faith in the US sovereign debt, then... Um, all sovereign debt around the world would begin to rise. And that means interest rates would begin to rise. And when interest rates rise, that means that uh, 400 or $300 trillion global debt bomb, when, when the interest rates start to rise, it makes it harder and harder to pay back. So they could, they could for now have a $300 trillion debt bomb with interest rates at zero and 1% around the world. But if interest rates rose to three or 4%, that $300 trillion debt bomb, that gets a lot harder to pay back. So that's why they have to print. They have to print and insert money into the debt markets to keep interest rates lower through QE. Um, and then obviously they have to do a little bit of the bread and circuses with the money they print. So they have to throw a little bit of money to the peasants. So that's where you're seeing a little bit of UBI, a little bit of 1200 stimmy checks um, to kind of calm the peasants down. And it's the kind of bread and circuses quote from the Roman empire. Um, you give, you give the masses some um, bread and some circuses and they will never revolt. So that's where the UBI kind of comes into it. So there's two different parts of the printing. There's the quantitative easing, uh, and then there's the fiscal side that goes to the people. Well, um, so this sounds like it's an inescapable situation. Um, because, all right, so like, because on paper, like on principle, I get, you know, I've been saying, <laughs> I mean, hence why people that have listened long enough know that like I went, all in in spring of 2020 when there were whispers of money printing 
And then whenever I heard, I think Preston talking about quantitative easing, because before then I thought that money printing had not happened. And like, I thought, you know, I was just going along and being a normie living in life, like, okay, everything's fine. Um, and then I discovered that, uh, well, I, I heard they were going to start printing money because of COVID. So I was like, oh my God, I got to hurry up and get into a solid asset. Went into Bitcoin because I'd been paying attention to it long enough and been reading about it and knew this is it. It's the time. Then I hear Preston on maybe uh, what Bitcoin did on Peter McCormick's bring up quantitative easing. And I mean, I literally was listening to the podcast while cutting the grass and like stopped the lawnmower and Googled quantitative easing. And then I was like, oh my God, this has been happening for years. Um, so on the, on the surface, I get why, like I, I've been telling everybody ever since then in my family and everything, I was like, you can't double the money supply and not have drastic, drastic Re, like response to that like price action everything like that so but what is the reason that pushes those prices up what you know like what what is going to be the thing that causes the inflation to go up because so we know they why they can't pay back their debt and why they can't let interest rates rise so they have to keep printing money to keep the interest rates low that keeps injecting liquidity into the market and that is what leads towards is that what leads towards prices going up? Yeah. So, I mean, like recently we've had um, over the past 20 years or so, um, I've got another chart pulled up. Um, the world money supply has grown by 5x over the past 20 years. And a lot of that money has been stuffed into the um, uh, into the bond market and into the stock market for a QE and like the Fed was has been buying massive levels of mortgage-backed security uh, securities over the past twenty years. None of the printed money really has gone to the people. Um, so it's kind of a lot of that inflation has been hidden into the asset markets over the past twenty years. But now that um, and that's also been a function of interest rates being systematically dropped over the past twenty years. So since nineteen eighty. Um, they actually had room to lower interest rates um, and that's kind of um, enabled people to go out there, borrow cheap money to speculate in stocks and, um, and sorry, the housing market. So not a lot of that inflation has kind of showed up in um, the things the everyday person buys at the shop. So they've only kind of been rising at 5 to 6 to 7% over the past 20 years. Meanwhile, assets have been rising at like 10 to 12 to 15% over the past 20 years. So that's so, largely and that's because the, the money that was being printed through quantitative easing and whatnot was going into assets. So it wasn't yep. reaching the, the everyday person. Yeah. So the, there was a massive uh, Occupy Wall Street was the massive protest in 2008. And that was because only How the ones that. Oh, God, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me do some quick math. I would have been 12. Is that right? Holy I would have crap. been 11 or 12. Um, <laughs> I wasn't looking into this when I was 12. I was, I was I probably know, throwing eggs at people's my windows. Like a, just blows my mind. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, anyways, I'm old. I'm so old. I'm not, but I feel You're old. not. You're definitely not. I'm just stupid. I'm not that. I'm not even that young. But yeah, in 2008, when I was throwing eggs at people's windows, the Fed was printing massive amounts of money, like $700 billion bailout. But none of that kind of went into, none of that went to the public. So not a lot of that showed up um, in things like energy and food. Those were only rising at 5 or 7%. Assets were rising at like 10 to 15%. That's because interest rates have been systematically lowered. So I've got a chart here. Interest rates have um, essentially been dropped from what 17, 18% all the way to zero over the past wait, 40 years. Oh, wait, what year is that that it peaked at 18? Because my parents, the first house they bought, I think they got 18% interest. What's that? Two, that's 1980, 1980, yep. 1982. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's right when they bought their first house. Yeah. So Man, you had the massive they bought inflation. The t- they bought the top. <laughs> yeah. They did buy the top. Um, they, they kind of benefited interest rates kept going lower and lower and lower 
Um, so anyway, making their repayments easier and easier and easier. Um, yep. Yeah. So interest rates got jacked up by Paul Volcker in the eighties because they had a massive decade long um, of inflation in the 1970s. So inflation was like 10 to 15% all throughout the 1970s. I think it averaged like, I don't know, nine or 10% again off the top of my head. And that's why the fed had to step in and raise interest rates to 18%. Um, but now that we're starting to see inflation here in the 2020s, interest rates are at zero. So a lot of people are saying, why don't they just raise interest rates? They can't because the debt is massive. Back in the 70s, the debt was only something like 70% of uh, debt to GDP. Um, that's completely off the top of my head. That's probably wrong, but debt was a lot lower in the 70s. Um, that's the main takeaway. right now. What's that, sorry? As opposed to 350% right now. Yeah, that's global debt to GDP ratio. Um, I mm. think that 70% to GDP was the US number. Um, now they're sitting at like 130%, just the US. Um, so people are saying, why don't they just raise interest rates and tame inflation? They can't because we have debt this time. That's why it's different to the 1970s. And that's why we potentially could be headed to hyperinflation because there's no plan B or plan C or plan D for central banks around the world. Debt's way too high, so you can't raise interest rates. That means all you can do is print money. And the more they print, the more they have to hand out to the to the citizens to stop them from revolting. Um, and obviously, and then on the other end, that's the fiscal side of it. They also have to print exponentially more amounts of money and shove that into the debt markets as more and more people start losing faith um, in debt. Um, like we're watching China accumulate commodities and gold mines. Uh, Russia stopped buying US debt in 2013, and they've been slowly selling since 2013 after the 08 financial crisis. Uh, China as well, they've been slowly kind of tapering off their US dollar debt buyers since 2013. Um, that's why the Fed had to change the regulations in 2014. They had to change the rules so that commercial banks could buy more of that uh, US Treasury bills because Russia and China weren't buying it anymore. They said the gig's up. We're buying gold because we know this is the end game. This was after they knew it wasn't going to pay back. They knew that we wouldn't pay back our debt. Yeah, that the world wouldn't be able to pay back their fiat Ponzi debt. Um, so I think so the China question, and Russia called it. Yep, and called our bluff basically. Yeah, they kind of called the world's bluff. They've been accumulating gold heavily since 2008. Um, yeah, so it is inevitable. Uh, it is inevitable that we're going to go through um, some sort of really high secular inflation. It might not get to the technical definition of hyperinflation, which is 50% inflation per month. <laughs> like, I don't think we're probably going to get there. Um, I, I'd expect the central banks to pull a little bit of a swifty before then whether that be a um whether that be a quote unquote great reset klaus schwab um steps in and pulls a sigh up before then um so i don't think you're ever going to get your technical 50 percent inflation definition um per month but the takeaway is it is inevitable. Fiats will collapse. There's absolutely nothing new here. Hundreds of fiat currencies have collapsed in human history and it's always through exorbitant money printing. If we pulled up a chart of the German hyperinflation in the 1923 and we compare that to the money supply chart in uh, the US Fed, you can see, um, so you can see in 1920, 1921, 1922, you can see the price of gold kind of slowly rising in the 20s. Um, like there were rumors that Germany had too much debt. They were printing lots of money, but they were very they were very adamant in saying, no, 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 there's nothing to see here. This printing will not cause inflation. Uh, <laughs> it's only transitory. This is just transitory inflation. All the take same out, things. If you take out bread and, you know, poultry <laughs> and things that people spend their money on, then inflation doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. The same kind of narratives were prevalent in the 1920s in Germany. Um, By the way, apologize so you can, if you can hear the screaming upstairs. I don't know if the mic's picking that up, but there's children screaming. This, this is my life. Want, so. The kids want dad to buy more Bitcoin. I couldn't hear them. <laughs> <Yeah. though. laughs> Dude, I did. You could? No, I couldn't. Uh, no. 
Okay. We'll keep this in the podcast because it's super entertaining. Um, and uh, But the dad did smash by some Bitcoin this morning on the dip. So anyways. Um, Attaboy. Uh, and I didn't. I mean, here's the thing. I don't wait to buy. So like anybody that's like, hey, let's schedule a ton. Like log was like, everybody buy a thousand dollars. I'm like, the moment it hits my bank account that I know it can be going into Bitcoin, it's like immediate. So it just happened to be this morning that um, that a chunk landed that I knew was was destined for Bitcoin. Um, and I saw the price at like, I was like, oh, hey, look at that. I can buy the dip because I mean, I would have bought the same amount yesterday anyways. So anyways, the more, um, and the more, sorry, you cut you off. The more people that have that mindset, um, as soon as I get the fiat, I need to get rid of it. That's when the hyperinflation really takes hold. Because um, as soon as people know that, hang on, this money's worthless. It's losing 10 to 15% of its purchasing power a year. I need to get rid of it as soon as I get it. That's when hyperinflation really takes off. Um, so yeah, anyone can see any of the podcast listeners were also looking at chart of money supply growth um, of the German mark in the 1920s compared to the US Fed today. And the similarities scary. are just jaw dropping. Yeah, that's that's a little bit too um, similar. I mean, like if you're just looking at it and it's like obviously up and to the right. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of alarming. Yes, you can kind of see it starts to go parabolic. Who's our um, article? 19- is this, by the way? Hey, who who wrote this article? Is this an article? This was you? myself. This was my oh, okay. own thoughts um, about the long term debt cycle, transitory inflation, hyperinflation, supply chains, um, all of that crap. I put this out a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, so I just because I think like I I've been banging this drum for the past six to twelve months. I've been saying, look. I think this is hyperinflation. These are all the early signs of hyperinflation. Um, as soon as Michael Saylor came in, that was kind of a really big trigger warning that things have been brought forward for my, for me anyway. I thought the timeline of hyperbitcoinization has been brought forward. And then as soon as we started actually seeing the manipulated CPI inflation basket start printing 5 6 7%, that's massive warning signals. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on it, Corey? What do you think about the whole hyperinflation, inflation? I mean, I, so it's it's a mathematical certainty. Um, and there's something that, you know, I've followed my entire life. And it is that um, if the math is right, you can't escape it. Um, you know, and my, my dad, if he's listening, he'll appreciate this because he was a, a, a CPA, a certified public accountant. So, um and he always told us, you know, everything is math um, and it really is. So, you know, from relationships down to, you know, and, and anything um, and you can't escape bad math. Um, and, and here we are, we've been with these morons that have been, I mean, it's hard to call somebody a moron whenever they maybe don't even know how stupid they are um you know what i mean like like do we really blame do we blame the politicians for getting us in this mess or do we just accept the fact that they're idiots and um you know and either they couldn't figure it out or they're serving special interests of people that own hard assets that are going up in value and swallowing up the world's purchasing power. So those are the two scenarios. You, you, ha- you either have they're complete idiots or they're serving people that want this uh, money printing to happen, to transfer, to grow the wealth gap and everything. Um, neither scenario is great. Um, you know, if it was as simple as them being idiots and we could just get rid of them um, and then, you know, get new people in there that are smart um in the other scenario that they're being controlled um which you know find me a politician that isn't bought um then you in that scenario it's it's harder but bitcoin is the answer bitcoin gets us out of either thing um you know i think uh bitcoin tina i don't know if you were in the room at the time the other night um was talking about how the house is on fire and nobody knows it yet 
or very few people know it yet. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just it's just how I felt, and I'm like, <sighs> I'm basically I feel like I'm going insane because I'm sitting there trying to explain to people, like, hey, this is right in front of you, like, th- this is happening. It's you can see it. It's not like it's not like I'm telling you, oh, trust me, I read this on some, you know, on some form that somebody let me peek at behind closed doors. Like this information's all out there. It's mathematically impossible for us to escape the situation. And and if I've gotten to the point that like it's so alarming now that if people do not get it, then I don't know if they don't get it soon. I don't know if they're going to get it until it's over. Well, that's the thing about these hyperinflation events. Normally the everyday person is the ones most affected because they just simply don't get it or they don't bother to look into it until it's too, too late. Um, Generally it's always the rich people who are running around uh, absolutely scrambling, buying hard assets before the hyperinflationary events. And these hard assets act as a kind of hedge. Um, so like houses and uh, gold and all the previous kind of stores, stores of values in these hyperinflationary events, the elites would go and um, buy all them up. And there'd be lots of people, like everyday people, they see their house price go up by 20% and 30% and 40% in a year just before the hyperinflation takes off. And they say, oh, I'm rich. I'm going to sell my house for, for the fiat and I'm going to, I don't know, go on a holiday or uh, downsize my house. You can and, afford that. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're left holding a big bag of dirty fiat. I, I think you nailed it. Um, it is mathematically inescapable. As Greg Foss says, it's simple, grade 11 math. It's all math, it's a, yeah. It's all math. You can't outgrow the debt bomb. You just simply cannot outgrow the debt bomb. It is inescapable. Um, fiats will continue to be debased. Um, something else you mentioned there, um, are the politicians, um, are they intentionally, do they intentionally know what's going on or are they just incompetent idiots? I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm a little bit more of the, I love to throw the tinfoil hat on a little bit more um, than most people. Hey? Do you still have your uh, tinfoil hat? Yeah. It'd be around here. Hang on. <laughs> there she is. Tinfoil hats on, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk about the Fed and the creature from Jekyll Island. See, this is where I get a little bit more conspiratorial, and I think there's more malice to the situation. Um, if you have a look at the creation of the Fed, if you have a look at the families who had a hand in central banking over the past couple of hundred years, um, you kind of start to see that central banking is not a good thing central banking is intentionally there to steal from the 99 percent through this quote-unquote good two percent inflation targeting uh, methodology and it's just complete horseshit we know inflation's bad for you inflation said another way is simply your savings are worth less next year because the government is stealing your purchasing power that's what inflation should be called it shouldn't be called inflation and deflation. And um, so that, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It is theft. Um, and I didn't really get that until Breed Love started talking about it in 2020. I was R. like, R. oh shit, inflation is theft. Um, I, Breed Love didn't die, just RIP his Bitcoin reputation. Anyways, <laughs> Tempo- he had a temporary stint. He's back for me. He's yeah. still writing some great articles. Um, yeah, so. Absolutely mathematically certain. Um, I'm, I, I'm, it's just a timeline. It's just how long can they kick it off? Um, can they kick off the inflation? I think we were talking about this in the interview we did together on the Bitcoin Made Simple. We talked a lot about inflation and how central bank digital currencies kind of tie into it. Uh, TLDR, the long story short, I think they're racing to kind of get the central bank digital currencies out um, before inflation really kicks off. Um, so I think the next 12 months are going to be some of the most interesting months that we're probably going to see for a long, long time. Um, I'm really interested to see how Bitcoin reacts in this coming bull market to the inflation. And I'm really interested to see do supply chains and does inflation continue to get worse? 
Um, you also combine, combine that with more and more people drawing the line in the sand, uh, in the, we'll just say in the medical arena, we were trying not to get the video deleted, but, um, more and more people, despite the mainstream media, not showing it, um, on the propaganda boxes every night, more and more people are protesting in every single country. They've had enough. Um, so you've got three or four catalysts there that all seem to be cooking and brewing, um, suggesting the next six months could be interesting. Um, yeah, which leads me to, you know, uh, worry a little bit. Um, but, uh, I mean, the parallels to what we're going through and um, what happened in 1930s Germany are pretty scary. Um, because... Uh, I forget the exact situation, so I'm going to completely butcher it. I'll just go on generalities. There was some kind of maybe assassination attempt. I don't know. Like There was some kind of historical, something in history in the 30s in Germany's parliament. Maybe it was, no, it was, it was on fire. That's what it was. Somebody, somebody tried to burn down their parliament, I believe, in the, 19, the early 1930s. Um, and that was kind of used as the reason for i think that's why hitler assumed um like his you know complete and absolute power um and uh you know so the whole the whole thing back in january made me kind of wonder like what what the hell is going on here because i mean like those obviously there were people that did that you know but like it's just it's a little curious to me um so yeah, I just I've been that's why I've been telling people. I mean, you've heard me say many times to people, just like just get out of cities and uh, kind of lay low here for a little bit, because um, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be not pleasant. I don't think. Um, make me feel better about that, Luke. Is it gonna feel? Is it gonna be better than being not pleasant? You're muted. I think you're muted. I can't hear you. Yeah, sorry, mate. I bloody <laughs> turn my mic off. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be wild. Sorry, I don't have any reassuring advice. I think all the carnage yeah, we're about to we had it. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, at least <laughs> at least you're in America, dude. I'm in the Australian gulag. I'm yeah. petrified. I, I can't even get into the US without taking government medicine right now. So that's a no-go for me. Um, so my options are go to Mexico or go to a little small country like Denmark or God, I'm not going there that weather's too cold or Sweden or something like that. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, a filmmaker that um, moved to Mexico from Canada. Yeah. He seems happy it's, down there. Yeah. It's on my watch list. Um, it's kind of certainly on my watch list, um, How, but that's the thing. Yeah. It's just, it's nuts. So it's funny that um, because I, um, so I'm actually, by the way, I don't know if you could hear that, like, meow, but my kids have this keyboard that is, like, a cat, and it's somewhere nearby, and I can't find it, and it, like, keeps turning on, and then when it goes to sleep, it has, like, this snoring sound, and then goes, meow, and, like, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't it's know a, where it is. I don't it's know. okay, I, I didn't, I it's didn't pick it up the mic. Like, I'm going insane in here. I'm like it's somewhere around here um makes me think of is it a fun story so a friend of mine was um doing work on somebody's house like a friend of his house from college and um before they moved in <laughs> and while he was in there he realized that there was a telephone line and um so the you know nowadays nobody our age uses like old telephones so he took the he got the phone number and then plugged in an old rotary phone that had like the real loud ringing and hit it up in the ceiling. And then he would just call it randomly. Like after the guy moved into the house, he'd just call it. And the guy was like, there's a phone ringing, like somewhere in my house, there's a phone ringing. I don't know where it is. Like, I don't have a phone. There's no phone line. <laughs> anyway, I, 
I actually watched the episode um, where Jim steals Andy Bernard's phone. This is in the office. Oh, he steals- yeah. I watched that episode. Yeah, last night. <laughs> um, back on, back on, back on topic. Yeah, back on. See, this is back my ADD going wild and then don't and then encourage luke, me i've got luke, the same add <laughs> i could go down those rabbit holes with you um but what, what were we about to say before i we're got interrupted talking about keyboard. fourth turnings and cultural revolutions and yeah. populist uprising yeah you I, mentioned go ahead you go you, you, <laughs> okay you. yeah like that gets into something else we actually i didn't plan on talking about this today I thought we were just going to talk about hyperinflation, but a side effect of hyperinflation and high wealth inequality is these kind of populist um, uprisings. The people say, I've had enough. I'm revolting. I'm grabbing my pitchfork. I'm going to go and take back what's been stolen from me from these large, overbloated, centralised entities. Um, just when you talked about um, the kind of populist uprising in Germany, um, it kind of reminded me of the fourth turning cycle. So you've got a 90-year cycle that keeps that's been repeating for the past 500 years. And in every fourth turning or 22-year window, you get massive chaos and carnage. And we're living through a fourth turning window, a 22-year fourth turning window right now. Since 2008 um, to 2030, we're living in that window. And generally, that's where chaos happens. If you look back at the previous fourth turning, 80 years ago, uh, like you said, Hitler, um, you got gold confiscation, the economic depression, Mussolini, you had all those kind of populist uprising movements. Um, and then 80 years before that, you had the, Amer- the American Civil War. 80 years before that, you saw the French and the American Revolution. So that, and this goes back for 500 years. Every 80, year, every 80 to 90 years in a fourth turning, in a specific 22-year window, you get chaos um, and we're living through one of those and you can see it since you, you saw it in the, in response to the 08 bailouts, the people grabbed their pitchforks and they were marching in the Occupy Wall Street. Um, they were like, this is not fair. You can't print money and give it to the 1%, but not give us any money. And you saw it um, pick up massively in 2019. A lot of Bitcoiners don't talk about this, but protests were on the rise in 2019. Protests really? in, yeah, pre- protests pre- were COVID. Ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive. You More than 10 countries. In more than 10 countries, you had a million people marching in the streets in that year. Massive. So you had the French yellow vest protests. There were massive protests in Hong Kong. Uh, the Lebanon banking crisis protests. Um, protests were on the rise in 2019 exponentially. Hmm. Um, I also wrote about that in probably this article as well. Um, there was someone who surveyed looking at like 120 countries and like 80% of them protest numbers were rising exponentially in 2019, 2017, 2018, 2019 protests were rising. Um, you had a banking, you had the, the, the financial system collapse in 2019, the repo, the repo rates blew up in September of 2019, the yield curve inverted in August of 2019, the fed was printing hundreds of billions of dollars in September of 2019, the same time protests were rising and going through the roof. And then 2020 comes along and guess what? Tinfoil hat's back on because guess what? Everybody gets locked inside their house. Nearly the perfect, perfect excuse. But where I was going with that tangent was Mm. the people protesting. Like we're watching right now the convergence of all these cycles converge together. They all want to unwind at the same time in the 2020s. Um, So you've got the 80-year long-term debt cycle. You've got the 90-year fourth turning cycle. You've got the 250-year revolutionary cycle. Um, So 250 years ago from today, you had the American and the French Revolution in the late 18th century. And then you look another 250 years before then, and you got the Protestant Reformation. So that's where you got the separation of uh, church, and, church state. and state. Yeah, that's the big one. And that led to obviously the, 
um, the Enlightenment and the Renaissance. So we're, we're living through the convergence of all of these cycles. And that's what this chart kind of shows that I've got pulled up on screen for the listeners that may be listening on Apple Podcasts, maybe check out the YouTube video. But all of these cycles are converging to unwind in this specific decade, in the 2020s. Um, so it's absolutely wild. And all of the chaos... Um, so I think you began to ask me before I went down all those tangents, Corey, you said, uh, how is this going to unfold? How do people prepare? Is this a good or a bad thing? Um, I, I like all this chaos that we're seeing at the moment. This is essential in people waking up and realizing, hang on a minute, the monetary system is broken. Hang on a minute. There's too much power in the hands of these centralized oligarchs and these large institutions that are too large. We need to go out there and revolt and we need to take back um, everything, our freedoms. We need to take back um, the, not take back the money that we've been stolen from, but it's essential. The people need to wake up. So they need to go through all this hardship. They need to revolt. They need to feel the pain for them to actually tear down the old system. Uh, what's that quote associated to the fourth turning hard times create strong men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strong men create good times, good times, create weak men, weak men, create hard times. We're living through the hard times and we need the strong men to make some good times. And I think a lot of the Bitcoiners are those strong men. They are the remnant who are going to tear down the old system and build a new system, uh, which is Bitcoin. So that's what you said um, originally. Uh, Bitcoin, this is the the first time we've gone through any of these cycles, whether it be a hyperinflation um, or a cultural revolution or a 90-year fourth turning. This is the first time we've actually got an actual lifeboat that can't be manipulated and captured by the state. Okay, typically gold could be seized. Like if you look at the 1930s, when you're mm. going through a fourth turn in and a long-term debt cycle, the state just said, sorry, 1933, we're confiscating your gold. You cannot hold a store of value. You have to hold the fiat and the bonds that are debasing at 10 to 15% a year. Sorry, but we're stealing from you. Don't hold the gold. This is the first time we've actually got an, an exit valve that is Bitcoin that you can hold. Um, and kind of weather this turbulence kind of few years as we wait for all these cycles to conclude. Um, and thank God we got Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, so we're looking at all that stuff unfolding and hyperinflation is necessary. It is not necessary, it is inevitable. Um you know, uh, what do you think, just in the cultural zeitgeist, what do you think Jack's tweet uh, did, you know, putting it kind of at the forefront um, where maybe more people are thinking about it because all of us Bitcoiners have been standing, you know, like trumpeting it from the mountaintops saying, you know, the British are coming, the British are coming, you know, we've been <laughs> over and over again and nobody, but like, there will be like, you know, Paul Revere, you know, going through Boston and saying the British are coming and everybody just rolling over and going back to bed. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. whatever. They're like, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, do you think it has pushed itself into the cultural zeitgeist a little bit more now? Oh, definitely. I think people will question it before the Jack tweet. I think they would have been crazy if they weren't questioning inflation before the Jack tweet. People are feeling it now. In the UK, um, what happened to petrol prices? I think they went up by something crazy, like 50 to 100% in the span of a couple of weeks. Same thing in Europe as well. And in the UK, they had to call the military in to ration the petrol. Say, sorry, sorry, you can't fill up your tanks. And this we're just rationing. Happened? Just recently, maybe a week or two ago, the UK was <laughs> calling in the military to ration petrol. So people, How do I people not know un- that? How do I not know that? How do we not see that on, on the, the news? Pro- Propaganda machine hides this crap. It's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, there's a massive shortage in natural gas and petrol prices were booming in uh, UK and Europe. So this is really recently. And I think they're starting to rise here. And I think I saw something suggesting they're going to start to rise in the US as well. So go and stock up your petrol drums. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, people, people probably noticed inflation recently, like used cars are up a hundred percent since 2020. Um, I'm pretty sure I could sell my car that I bought brand new back for more money. Yeah. I haven't, I mean, it's close, which is insane. Yeah. It's close. Like they're the, the dealership, the land over, oh, I just stocks myself a little bit, but, um, the dealership keeps, I'll, nah, if I think about it, I'll delete that. Um, the dealership keeps emailing me. Oh, wait, no, I didn't say the town. So we're good. Um, the dealership keeps, uh, keeps emailing me saying, like, hey, we, you know, like we have the special deal. We have the special offer where you can sell your, you know, we'll, we'll take your used, your, you know, your, your used car and you'll get more money back. And then you can buy an even more expensive new car. Um, and they keep doing it. Like they email me like probably once every couple of weeks saying like, guess what? Your car is worth more now. Let's we'll, we'll buy it from you. Um, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. It's wild. So if everyone's, everyone's been aware that prices have risen. Everybody's felt it over the past year. They, they, but a lot of them are probably under the impression, oh, it's just transitory inflation. Oh, no, it's okay. The central bank is telling me. What does that mean me, exactly? Transitory. So transitory means it's going to go up and then stop rising. It's just going to stay there, stay at 5%. Um, but I mean, like the Fed came out in early 2020 and they said, no, 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 don't worry. This printing will not cause inflation. And then it was, oh, no, don't worry. This is just, we're just going to change our inflation targeting. So yeah, it might overrun the 2%. But that's because we've been undershooting our 2% target for a couple of years. So we're just going to let it rise above the 2% target for a little while, and then it will go away. So it'll be transitory. And now the, the central banks are saying, oh, well, it's not so transitory. It's going to stay here until mid-2022 now. So you can see the goalposts keep getting shifted. And maybe the everyday person who has felt the effects of inflation, they have, beef's up 100% year over year, chicken's up 50% year over year, coffee, God knows, 50% year over year, used cars 100% year over year. They've all felt that. They've seen that. And now you've got the CEO of Twitter tweeting, hey, hyperinflation's coming. Uh, look out. So I think it certainly has. Um, like you I said, think it's, it's going to change everything. Yeah, Definitely. It's going to change everything. Um, and we'll keep going here for a little bit. Just I know we, we uh, our goal is to typically talk about multiple topics, but um, <laughs> this is kind of a big one in multiple things wrapped into one. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to change everything. Hyperinflation. To me, I think, I think it's going to change everything. You know, uh, I, I know I know I saw you poking in and out of Preston's space last night. Um, and uh, it's actually, I think, what some, somewhat of what Preston and I talked about whenever he was on um, my, on the podcast um, was that, you know, people were waking up to the fact that they've been lied to. Um, you know, and now we talk in an economic sense, but I also see that in like a a wider sense, um, you know, because it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I mean, you know how I am with free speech with my streaming platform and everything. Like, uh, like I think people are starting to realize that social issues and different things were used to get political support, um, to sway people behind certain things that they didn't understand necessarily. Um, that helped manipulate markets helped manipulate money um and uh and so yeah i think it's not just on the monetary end i think it's going to wake people up with jack saying it's going to change everything you know people are going to wake up to the fact that like oh my god like the money's been a lie this whole time um and once you realize your money is a lie, you start peeling back the layers of the onion and you go, what else is a lie? Um, and very, right behind that is, you know, government power and, and uh, the, the promises that they've made to people over and over again that go unfulfilled. Um, yeah, I, I just, I see it not just changing things monetarily, 
Um, what do you think about that? Couldn't agree more. I, I think it's going to be um, like literally a modern Renaissance 2.0. I think it's going to be bigger than the Enlightenment. I think it's going to be so obvious that governments have lied to people um, over the past 10, 20, 50, 100 years that everybody's going to question everything. And especially with social media and us living in this digital age where communications and information is essentially democratized to anyone who wants to find it. As soon as somebody has that inkling, like when if we go through this really high secular inflation period and we transition onto a Bitcoin standard, it's going to be so obvious that the government's lied. Um, it, no, it won't be so obvious, but everybody will be curious to think, hang on, what happened with my money? It doesn't make sense that inflation was caused by the Bitcoiners. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that inflation was just caused by supply chains. Maybe I'm going to jump on a Twitter space and just ask a couple of questions or maybe I'm going to poke around on the internet and um, and they're going to come to the answers very quickly because we won't shut up about it. Bitcoiners <laughs> will continue to speak the truth no matter what because we don't give a fuck about the government. We, we have integrity and we will tell the truth and we will say to any new person, no, the inflation was not caused by supply chains. No, it was not caused by lockdowns. It was expedited and accelerated by those things but the collapse was always going to come because central banks created that issue when they depegged the currencies from gold and since then they've been stealing from you so i I think we're going to go through probably the biggest enlightenment or awakening i know those terms get absolutely beat to drum by these you know truth-seeking people but I, i think it will be like that i think it will be like a big awakening um i think it will be a modern renaissance 2.0 I think people are going to question absolutely everything. Like you said, when they realize they've been lied to about the money, um, they're going to question everything. Big pharma, education, the food industry, every aspect of your life, people are going to question it. Um, And I think there'll be no way to get around that because it'll be as simple as Bitcoin number going up despite all the propaganda that they're going to throw at it. The numbers just going to keep going up and act as this truth machine while their fiat currency or their central bank digital currency, Fed coin or slave token, whatever you want to call it, the number on that will keep going down and it'll have expiration rates attached to it. It'll buy you less and less food at the grocery store. And these people that are trapped in this system, the central bank digital currency slave system, they're going to simply look at the number go up in the Bitcoin system and they're going to look at the Bitcoiners building their citadels and they're going to look at how happy they are and they're going to start questioning things. It's going to be as simple as that. Uh, I think no matter how hard they fight it, like, they're going to the fight Bitcoiners it. don't work much. Like they don't work, you know, they don't go to the factory. They look kind of happy. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why am I not doing that? Why uh, are they standing in the bread lines? What the I hell? Know. That's... That's the key, man. I mean, we we stocked up on food, so we're good for we're for good for a bit. Um, I recommend people do that. One quick question before we wrap up, because um, I haven't dug much in, into this. Um, but the what's the issue with all the shipping containers being held up for the supply chain? You know, because I hear supply chain issues, and then I hear that there are um, ship you know barges with shipping containers with imports just being told to dock off the coast of the u.s and not come in are they trying to create the shortages is that what's happening i'm i I just i'm so confused by that because like i would think that they want to slow that so that they can get to their fed dollar faster yeah, I haven't dug into it as much as I should. Um, I know that Lynn Alden did a really good podcast with Preston about a week ago on it. So I'd, I'd recommend everyone go and check that one out. Uh, just my uneducated opinions on it. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I suppose maybe some of the shipping uh, holdups um, could be due to a couple of different things. I know China closed the whole port because they had one COVID case. Uh, read into that what you will could be a geopolitical move i don't know could also be due to a lot of people uh, walking off the job recently so a lot of people have been walking off the trucky um, a lot of truck drivers have been just completely walking off the job due to um, compulsory medical tyrannical measures 
So maybe they, maybe the ships are getting held back because there's simply not enough truckers to transport all of that stuff around. Maybe they're holding onto the ships to, um, to slow inflation. Um, the one thing I have looked into was I think one of the shipping container costs, one of the charts I was looking at, um, the cost of a shipping container was like $2,000 in early 2020. Now it's up around like $14,000, $15,000. So that's up, what, 7x? That's like, what, six to 700% in a year or two? So that's wild, absolutely wild. Um, maybe it's something we can look into for our next yeah. weekly catch up. We can look into yeah. supply chains more. Let's do that. Um, well, dude, uh, let's uh, hope that we're, you know, price of only Bitcoin goes up between now and next week. <laughs> yeah, it's, pro- it's programmed. Number go up. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we will get you again. Bitcoin breadcrumbs. That's what this is. Not bread and circuses, breadcrumbs. Just leading you down the path. So thanks for listening, everybody. See you guys.